Blog Talk Radio. Bed Tales, the podcast about Laura Ingalls Wilder, historic foodways, women's schools, and other social history. This is Sarah Utah, the host and creator of Trundle Bed Tales. Find us around the web under Trundle Bed Tales and on your favorite social media platform. If you listen or just have an account on iTunes, please leave positive feedback because that helps people find the show. This is episode 113, Reverend Robert Miller and story of the Congregational Church. And before we get going on that, we have to take just a little time for housekeeping. And I wanted to, uh, in terms of catching people up, I want to make sure that everyone knows that uh, if you want to be part of the show by making a question or something like, or asking a question, you can do that at one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine. That's one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine. And uh, and and we be sure to watch the Travel Dead Tales YouTube page. We've been, uh, in addition to going to two episodes a week while we're on quarantine here. I've started a new series of videos called Laura in a Minute. Now we're putting those out on on, uh, Facebook first, but they are going to get to the YouTube page later, so take a look for that. Uh, In terms of what's going on in Laura fandom, Allison Ingram, Nellie of the TV show, is still doing every day at 3.30 Central Time a read-along of the Little House series. We're in Little House right now, and that is a lot of fun. Even my mom enjoys it, and as you all know, she's had more Laura in her life than she ever wanted. So, oh, and uh, the big news this week of things being canceled and postponed is the 150th event for Carrie in Keystone, originally scheduled for this, has been bumped to next year. I'm sorry to say, but it's probably better to do it now than to end up having to do it later. And I think that's about all of our updates. And that means it is time to bring Reverend Bob back on the line. So uh, thank you, Reverend Miller, for coming on the show. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. And uh, why don't we start out by just telling people uh, a little bit about who you are and why you know about the Congregational Church. Well, um, I hail from Ohio, and I lived there the first 22 years of my life. And after seminary, I moved to Alden, Iowa. And starting on July 1st of 77, I began serving the Emmanuel Memorial United Church of Christ, which is a congregational-based church, and have been there ever since. 
42, 42 and a half years now. I'm married, have two grown daughters, and uh, um, I love the Congregational Church, I lo- the United Church of Christ, actually, is what, it, what it's called today. And uh, that's basically my story. Well, I was so excited uh, that uh, the Reverend Miller here is actually the husband of a co-worker of mine, and I was so excited to find out that uh, he was a reverend in a church that comes from that congregational tradition because there's not a lot of people talking about the congregational uh, denomination by that name anymore unless you were actually reading a Laura book. So I was glad to find someone who could tell me about it. Uh, The congregational church is a Protestant uh, denomination. Uh, First off, what does that mean? What does it mean to be Protestant and what is a denomination? Um, okay. There. All right. The first part of the question is, uh, Protestant is the way we pronounce the word. It could also be pronounced Protestant, because what happened in uh, Martin Luther and 95 Theses on the Wall when it, at Heidelberg, Heidelberg, Germany, back in the 1520s, uh, and started started the process by which ultimately there would be a separation of the Catholic Church uh, and Protestants would become, Protestants would become the other other denomination denominations in the world and they are basically protesting what they consider to be some of the evils of the Roman Catholic Church I don't want to say that too loud I love the Catholic Church too but they uh, they practiced uh, wanting to sell indulgences where you could pr- you know if you gave the priest enough money he could pray and get your get your uh the your loved ones into heaven and uh way too much power in the in the in the priests in the bishops and the pope and that's basically what protestant is is a reaction against that what a denomination is is basically no more no less than a body of churches that create a government govern a governing body and they exist to do christian ministry which is basically broken into uh four parts you've got mission education worship and fellowship and every denomination is organized a little bit differently and uh, they grow or don't grow according to how 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 evangelical they are in terms of wanting to to increase their membership some denominations in this country are just huge uh for example the american baptist church is is the largest protestant denomination Roman Catholic is still uh, way, way bigger than that. And uh, the United Church of Christ is one of the smaller ones. I'm not sure what else you want me to say about that, but that's that's what I would say a denomination is. Well, I think that's a good definition. So if you're out there listening, uh, it means so churches like the Methodist Church is a denomination, the Lutheran Church is a denomination like that. Um, yes. So uh, what were the major Protestant denominations in the United States in the 19th century? Okay. I don't know what order these go in, really. I know that the the Congregationalists were first, and I'll talk about that in just a little bit. But they have Congregational, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Baptist, Disciples of Christ is the only homegrown denomination that does not come from any outside the U.S. It started here. 
Methodist, Episcopalian, uh, Reformed, the Brethren, the Amish, and Quakers. And there may be some others, but they didn't come to mind when I was thinking about it this afternoon. Well, that's good. I think that's that's a good summary. So there were, uh, so there were all these different groups that were organized uh, around believing sort of the same basic things. And even though they were all Protestants, and they were all Christian. They had these different beliefs, and so they were divided into segments, denominations. Absolutely. That were, were um, some of them were closer, and some of them were farther apart. With more differences, but they were all denominations. So right. how competitive were these denominations with each other in the 19th century? Okay, that's that's a really tough question. So here we go. In the in in as the cities grew and as the cities got bigger, just like there is today, if you go in any major city in this country, um, the bigger the city, the more churches they've got. And so if there was, if there was a, you know, just, oh, let's pick one, Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland, Ohio is a lake port, you know, on Lake Erie, the big port city. It was, a, it was the center of the organized country for almost 100 years. And uh, there are as many churches in Cleveland per block as, as, as any place else in the country. Well, in the big cities there really was no rhyme or reason to how they started it because if they thought they could make a go of it, the, 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 the denomination would put a, a pastor in there, would fund him, uh, almost all hymns. There were some hers, but not very many hers, um, and uh, would fund him for three to five years to see if he could get a church going. In the smaller, in the smaller towns, like the one I serve, um, there were not that many people in Alden in the 1850s when they started. So therefore, the Congregationalists sent a pastor in, and the Presbyterians didn't come to Alden. They went they went to Ackley, which is up the road about 20 miles, because there was no reason to do competition when there was only so many people in the town to start with. So it's kind of a hop, skip, and a jump kind of thing. Well, I'll take Alden, you take Ackley. You know, you take Buckeye, I'll take I'll take Ames. Kind of like that. Uh, I also want to say to you that uh, some of the churches were very cooperative in not trying to encroach on other other denominations' areas, and others were not cooperative at all, and they just set up wherever they wanted to. And uh, that exists even today a little bit. Uh, also, I'd like to say that in the in the northern part of the country and in the Midwest, the Congregationalists, the Presbyterians, the Lutherans, the Disciples, the Methodists, and the Reformed were really, really strong. That's why Laura Ingalls Wilder, when she was, you know, grew up, she grew up in a Congregational church because she was in Minnesota, and there are a lot of Congregational churches in Minnesota. The southern part of the country was basically Baptist. Uh, Methodist and and Southern Methodists were always way more conservative than Northern Methodists and Presbyterians, and it's the same way. Southern Presbyterians tend to be more conservative than Northern Presbyterians. And the Amish, the Quakers, the Brethren, uh, they lived apart, and they didn't really evangelize so much. They had their communities, and, and that's the way they were. So there wasn't a lot of church growth in those churches. It was just continuation 
because uh, they're family-oriented churches. Okay, I guess that's that. Okay. So, uh, but there was, um, depending on when and where you were, there was some competitiveness about which church you went to, if you were in a town that was big enough to have more. Oh, absolutely, there was competition. There but is today, there, too. People like to say there isn't, but there is. Well, that's true. Uh, I think that uh, you know there there used to be a little bit more, you know, like being Republican versus Democrat than it is today. I think, but yes, there's um, it is definitely still competitive today. Yeah. So, uh, how were new churches established in the West? Now, I'm interested in this because. Uh, when Laura was living in more of a western part of the country, when she was in Walnut Grove and then later when they were in Smet, uh, they didn't have uh, enough people at first to have a regular mission, uh, a regular minister. And so the Walnut Grove Church was a missionary church where right. uh, the minister came on the train and then later uh, they actually did have a minister full-time in met, but there was still that kind of missionary uh, element to it. So how were new churches established in the West? Okay. The center of the Congregational Church was Boston. And uh, they they have a, they had an organization that, that was ran... In fact, when my ministry started in 77, they still had it. And it was called the Congregational Home Missionary Society. And it's exactly what it sounded like. The, they would get the money up to they would get the money up to to hire a missionary, and they would send that missionary to a given place, whether it be Walnut Grove or Alden or wherever else they wanted to go, and they'd go by train or by horseback, and uh, they would go to that place and they would start they would start evangelizing. They'd introduce themselves, get to know people, uh, find a place to live. Almost always had to work to supplement their income in order to, to be able to live because there wasn't a lot of money. It wasn't nearly as organized and as much money as there is today. And uh, they would fund him and, and hope that in three to five years that he could get a church started. Or if they get a church started, then if he was a really good missionary, then they'd move him somewhere else and then move another pastor in there to do the building of the church. And usually those early pastors stayed a very long time. And and that's that that's how the Congregationalists did. I'm sure the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the rest did it very close to that. Well, that's cool. It was still going for so long because yes, they do talk about that that home missionary home association in the book. Yeah, when I started ministry, it was called the United Church Board for Homeland Ministries, and it was it was a little broader than just being a missionary society, but it was still that was it was still to keep. The, the church is going strong inside the United States. So when and where was the Congregational Church founded? Okay. It's a two-edged story, and uh, everybody in the country knows about pilgrims and Puritans, but maybe you don't know what the difference is between them. In sixteen In 1620... Well, there were separatists that were that were uh, opposed to the power of the Church of England. They didn't like the King of England being the head of the church. 
and so they they were called separatists, and they got in trouble if they if they were too vocal. And uh, some of the separatists, when they they got too vocal, they were told they could either go to prison or they could leave the country. And so most of them went to Holland. And so in in 1620, there were a group of these English separatists that 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 got on a boat called the Mayflower, and they came all the way to Plymouth Rock in 1620, and they were called pilgrims, with the tall hats and the blunderbuss guns and the and the white dresses and and uh, all that. And they landed on Plymouth Rock, and they started settling there, and that that town later became Boston. Well, a few years later, there was a different group of, of, of separatists, and they had a different name. They were called Puritans. Now, it would take me a half an hour to explain to you what the difference between Puritans and Pilgrims are, but in one sentence, Pilgrims thought that the evils of the Church of England were so big that they wanted out of it. The Puritans thought that the Church of England had value, and they wanted to work for change within the Church. But But guess what? You come to the United States of America, which isn't the United States of America, it's the colonies. They come over here, and there's no Church of England over here. So that argument never came up. Do we want to say inside the church or outside the church? And they, uh, in about 20 years or so, organized their own church, and they called themselves the Congregationalists. Um, okay. I guess that's the right, that's, I guess that's the answer to that. So it was both the Pilgrims and the Puritans together formed the Congregational Church. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Okay. The Puritan, the Puritans outnumbered the Pilgrims a lot because the Pilgrims were people who were really radicals about getting out of the Church of England. Well, not a lot of people got out of the Church of England if you lived in England. You didn't leave the Church. Well, the Puritans stayed within the Church. So by the time they started. Uh, Moving over here to the colonies, there were way, 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 way more Puritans than Pilgrims. Okay. But they merged to form their own church over here, separate from the Church of England. So uh, what areas of the United States were congregational churches most firmly established? Well, what we call the New England states. Uh, Massachusetts would be the center and from there you got Rhode Island and Vermont, New Hampshire, Connecticut, and Maine. And if you ever travel, if you ever travel up in that part of the country, as you're going down the street, down the road, down the highways and the byways, you will see hundreds and hundreds of churches that are all built the same. They're white with white pillars in the front. They, they're very plain built. They've got a steeple. Usually they have a bell, but not always. They're very clean. If you go inside, almost all the time the carpet is red, and they are meticulously kept. Those are congregational churches at the beginning. of. I mean, they were built as congregational churches. Um, from there, uh, they moved mostly east and not south. Um, I'm east. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I said that. They moved west. Okay. And they they came into uh, Pennsylvania, although there's not a lot of congregational churches in Pennsylvania, but there are some in Ohio, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, Indiana, 
uh, Iowa, Nebraska, Missouri, some in South Dakota, not very many in, in North Dakota, but, but South Dakota, and uh, not very many in the South, and not not a whole lot more West. In fact, I think today the uh, state of Texas has uh, seven United Church of Christ churches in it, and that's 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 not very many for a state that big. No, it isn't. I mean, that's as if you look at a map and you measure from the top left-hand corner of the state down to the tip of Texas, that is uh, as far as from the top of Texas to Canada. So it's right. Big state. Seven is very many. So, yep. uh, what are some basic tenets? of the congregationalists? What did they believe? Well, I'll tell you, for the sake of this this podcast, I'm going to talk about the two big ones. Because the congregational church has at its heart the same as all other Christian churches. They believe Jesus is the head of the church. You need to love Jesus. Jesus loves you automatically. You need to be baptized. You need to take communion uh, often. Need to need to serve the Lord with gladness, yada yada. That, that's that's the tenets of all Christian churches. But what set set the uh, Congregational Church apart from most of the other churches of its day is that number one, they believe that the authority of the church should rest in the local congregation. Hence the name Congregationalism. They did not have a pope. They do not have. They did not have bishops. And the people who were hired that might be regional authorities didn't have authority over any local church. They just had uh, responsibilities of ministry to take care of. The power was always centered in the local congregation. And that meant that this congregation over here might might believe this, and that congregation over there might believe something different. But they, it didn't matter because... Um, because every local church congregation had its own autonomy. In fact, the uh, motto of the United Church of Christ today is unity and diversity. You and I don't have to agree on everything to both serve the same Lord. That's what we believe. The second, the, the second point was that they wanted to get back to a New Testament type of church which is basically kind of a house church concept. If you read the New Testament, the book of Acts or whatever, you know, Peter was the head of the church, but he, Peter was the head of the church by being a fellow missionary with everybody else. There was no hierarchy. There was no absolute word that what the Pope said was it. There was no bishops to be telling some local church how they had to do stuff or not to do. That all came after the Roman Empire adopted Christianity as their as their uh, new religion, and at that point, then you got all this hierarchy, which still stands today. But the New Testament type of church was basically a house church, and the power was in the in the committees of the church, in, in the committees of the of the house, the lay leaders, if if not professional clergy. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. There's no such thing as a professional clergy. I mean, they're all they're all uh, serving the Lord one day and making tents or fishing or or building carpentry. You know, the next day. And uh, 
they they believed that that was the way church should be and not with a local not with a non-local authority hope i'm not being too verbal about that no i understand that's that's good um so there wasn't a congregational church in mansfield Dolora and Almanzo attended the Methodist church there. And actually, yes. there's been some, uh, like when she lived in uh, Walnut Grove, she went to the Methodist church in addition to the congregational church because she was trying to win a prize to get a Bible. And there's you know, some, there's Wilders women at Methodist and Wilders that are congregational. So uh, there was a lot of kind of interaction there. So how close are the beliefs between the Congregationalist Church and the Methodist? I, I would say to you that I believe they're very, very close. Now, there are people that would argue and say, oh, no, they're real worlds apart, but the worlds, I don't think, are very big. I think that we have way more in common with each other than we have apart. Um, in fact, my best friend in ministry is a United Methodist pastor, and he and I disagree about a couple things, and we agree on other things, and we get along just great. We've done mission work together for 20 years, taking kids to Kansas City to work and stuff, and and we each have our own way of doing things, and that's just the way it is. Like I said, unity and diversity. I can disagree with somebody and still love them and serve with them. And uh, um, if you have to point out a couple differences, I would say to you that, that many Methodists are very evangelical. And what I mean by that is that they believe that you have to make a public confession of choosing Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Now, the Congregationalists would believe that you have to believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, but they didn't make a show of it at all. For them, it was a private, it was a private thing. And... Uh, um, the uh, mo- a lot of Methodist churches in those days did believers' baptism, where you had to be uh, put in the water and taken under the water and brought up. And Congregationalists were much more readily readily ready to do an uh, anointing, where you touch the forehead with water. Um, oh. And the really big difference in the two churches boils down what I've been talking about all day: the power of the church. In the Methodist church, the bishop of a Methodist conference holds sway over almost everything. And then below him are district executives, and there's committees that oversee what they'll do, and they have a book called the Book of Discipline, and you have to live live by that Book of Discipline. In the Methodist system, uh, the bishop can move you, whenever, as a pastor, can move you whenever he wants. In the congregational system, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, because like even the name Methodist comes from the fact that there was a method with how you were going to do things. Right, that's exactly right, John Wesley. And the congregational system, the, the authority is in the local church. Therefore, my local church in Alden here hired me in 1977. And 42 years later, I'm still the pastor of that church. In a Methodist church, in a Methodist system, that would be unheard of. Unheard of. We don't have bishops in the United Church of Christ in the Congregational Church. And uh, well, 
So that's about as good of explanation I can do short. I mean, in in the time we've got. Well, I think that that helps understand a lot, and because um, there were, I, I I'm glad to know that because there definitely was a lot of interaction there, and like I said, Meth, uh, Laura remained a congregational. She never actually joined the Methodist Church in Mansfield, but that was where she attended. So it's good to know that, for the most part, they were kind of close. Well, and the other thing I want to say is if, if is if you were not part of the clergy, if a person was in either one of those churches and not part of the clergy, and if they weren't involved in the inter interactions of, you know, what's going on like leadership in the church or whatever, you could you could be in either church forever and not know there was any difference at all. Because I mean, it's not like a big deal like the bishops coming in every week saying, "Here, you got to do this, you got to do that." That's not the way it works. Well, that's really interesting. Huh. Okay. Well, uh, what happened to the Congregational Church in the 20th century? Because we, well, we certainly uh, don't hear about Congregational Churches anymore. Um, in 1931, there was a loose alliance formed with the uh, Christian Churches of Appalachia. And the Christian Church of Appalachia were a group of uh, churches, probably 200 of them, 300 of them maybe, that that the pastors got tired of the of the of the uh, Methodist bishops and and the Baptist hierarchy telling them what they had to do and what they had to preach and how often they had to serve communion, and they really they really rankled under that, and so many of those pastors took their churches out of those denominations. And so then those churches were looking for some kind of affiliation with some other body, and they found the Congregational Church. And they were like-minded in that they felt that the, that the, that the power of the church rested in the local church and not, not a hierarchy. And so they formed this loose alliance, and they were called the Congregational Christian Churches. And then 25 years after that, or a little bit more, um, in 1957, they united uh, the Congregational Christian Churches merged with the Evangelical and Reformed Churches to form the United Church of Christ. I was uh, five and a half years old when that happened, and I remember we put a new church sign up in front of our in front of our church, and uh, um, that United Church of Christ is a is a is an affiliation that that when they started they had about six million members back in the back in the fifties and early sixties and and we have dwindled pretty bad. Of course, the mainline church across the country has taken a terrible hit over the past fifty years. Um, and I've served I've served this denomination since July of seventy seven, so I'm forty two years and counting. So, um, are there still congregational churches? I mean, it's, uh, are they just all? Um, I'm sorry. What was it? That, what were you calling them now? United, United Church of Christ. Yeah. So, um, it's still an, an active uh, denomination in that. Oh yeah. Yes, right. absolutely. So, so, if anybody wanted to go uh, hear a church service, that was 
sort of kind of like Laura's? They could look for uh, one of the, the churches. Well, half of the half of the of the United Church of Christ churches are congregational in background, and the other half or thereabouts are evangelical and reformed. Well, if you go into an evangelical reformed church, that's that's very close to Lutheran, and so that's not going to be like what she had. So. But what the churches are named around the country, you can tell usually what, what the basis is because most most of them retain the, retain the name congregational in their name. Um, ours did not, but the, but five miles away in Isle Falls, there's the first congregational United Church of Christ, and so that's that that would be uh, that would be more of of what Laura would have would have worshipped in. In terms of other other places where Congregationalists still survive, the United Church of Christ has about, and this is these statistics are about three years old now. United Church of Christ has about eight hundred and twenty-five thousand members in in this country, and there's a National Association of Congregational Christian Churches, and they're they're around seventy thousand members. Uh, in this country and then there's the conservative congregational christian conference and they have 42,000 members thereabouts in this country you add those numbers up and they come up just under 950,000 and in a country of 328 328 million people um, that represents about a third of a percent. That was just very interesting today. Thank you for coming on. Uh, is there uh, anything else that you uh, think that uh, somebody who wanted to learn about the Congregational Church, what they should, anything specific you think they should know or any source they should maybe look for? Well, I don't know how to answer that. Um we have a national our our national offices are in Cleveland and uh we have you could just go on United Church of Christ and and uh they have they have their webpage has history and all that stuff in it if you want to know and then they also can tell you where the UC United Church of Christ churches are in each state for example here in Iowa we have uh about 177 churches and uh, like I said, Texas is down to seven or so, and uh, it's just it, out east. They're still very strong out east in terms of congregations numbers. Um, not sure what else. I'm not sure how to answer that. Well, that's right. I threw just threw that question on at the end because I like to give people a chance to if there's something they think that they should tell us that hasn't come up. I would like to give I see. But that was really great. Thank you for telling us about the Congregational Church and uh, how Laura would have experienced it. And it really is a very interesting story and isn't one that I had really uh, run across before. So I really appreciate you coming on to share it. That's great. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks. And everybody, remember to brighten the corner where you are. And we're still working on uh, trying to get some more episodes done while everybody's here at home. 
And so we keep a look out on our social media and also on the Blog Talk radio page so uh, you can see what's coming up. And with that, uh, I want to wish you a very good day and wash your hands. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.